0: Pediatric endotracheal intubation by Dr. Joshua Nagler.
1: This instructional video will discuss the indications and contraindications for tracheal intubation. It will review pertinent airway anatomy and the procedural equipment. The steps required to successfully perform tracheal intubation, including appropriate aftercare, will be demonstrated. Additionally, potential complications and common pitfalls will be discussed. Use of a standard checklist is recommended to evaluate each patient for risks associated with tracheal intubation and generate appropriate plans to best minimize these risks. Tracheal intubation is an essential skill utilized to facilitate respiratory support in children with life-threatening conditions as well as those who require airway protection, including patients undergoing general anesthesia. This video will not cover bag mask ventilation or predictors of difficult airways. In addition, the focus here is on the use of direct laryngoscopy, although there is increasing recognition of potential advantages to using video laryngoscopy for endotracheal intubation. Indications. Tracheal intubation is indicated for any of the following. Failure of oxygenation or ventilation. Inability to maintain or protect the airway. Severe systemic conditions for which stabilization of the airway is beneficial. Elective anesthesia or completion of diagnostic or therapeutic procedures which cannot be performed without a controlled airway.
0: Contraindications.
1: In an emergency, there are no absolute contraindications to intubation except if the patient has an advanced directive against advanced airway placement. Relative contraindications to intubation include an anticipated difficult airway with concerns for difficulty either with bag mask ventilation or of successful intubation. In these cases, use of available resources are encouraged, including consultation with an expert in airway management, activation of an airway emergency team if this exists in your institution, and preparation for advanced airway techniques. It is helpful to review a patient's airway history if it is available in the medical record, assessing for prior difficulties with bag mask ventilation or intubation, or if a rescue plan such as a supraglottic airway placement has been required. Anatomy. Knowledge of the relevant anatomy of the upper airway and larynx is essential to successful intubation. Key anatomical landmarks to note during intubation include the epiglottis, vallecula, arytenoids, also known as the posterior cartilages, airy epiglottic folds, vocal cords, glottic opening. Differentiating the glottic opening from the esophagus is critical. Equipment. Preparation of equipment is a key step prior to intubation. Required equipment for tracheal intubation via direct laryngoscopy includes the following. Supplemental oxygen delivery devices, such as a non-rebreather mask and nasal cannula, bag mask system, either flow inflating or self-inflating, depending on your department's practice, laryngoscope handle, laryngoscope blade of the appropriate size and type for the patient, The laryngoscope should be assembled and you should have confirmed that the light source is functioning. Endotracheal tubes that are appropriately sized for the patient should be available as well as smaller and larger options to be used if necessary. A stylet is strongly recommended for non-elective intubations. After the stylet is placed, the endotracheal tube should be placed back into its original packaging so it's kept clean. CO2 detecting devices such as a colorimetric detector or inline end tidal CO2 detector. Endotracheal tube securing device or tape. Suction devices. The team should ensure that a tonsil tip suction catheter is attached to wall suction adjusted to 80 to 100 millimeters of mercury. A flexible suction catheter small enough to pass into the nares and down the endotracheal tube should also be available. A stethoscope. Personal protective equipment, including gloves and other items, as per your department standard, should also be obtained prior to starting the procedure. And a rescue plan should include alternatives to direct laryngoscopy, as well as a supraglottic airway. The suggested endotracheal tube size and laryngoscope blade can be determined by the patient's age. The predicted correct endotracheal tube size can be calculated using commonly accepted formulas or by using electronic or print references for resuscitation. Identifying and becoming familiar with a given approach to endotracheal tube selection in advance can help reduce the cognitive load during this high-stakes clinical procedure. Ensuring the appropriate personnel are present for the procedure is critical. The intubation team members may include Airway provider who performs the intubation procedure. Team leader is ideal to identify a team leader separate from the airway provider. However, depending upon the situation, this may not always be feasible. Nursing staff. Respiratory therapist. It is important to clarify the responsibilities of each provider present during the procedure, including who will be handing the endotracheal tube to the intubator, who will be securing the tube and providing positive pressure ventilation, and who will be observing the patient's vital signs during the procedure to alert the intubator of any significant changes. In cases of a known or anticipated difficult airway, an otolaryngologist or anesthesiologist with training in pediatric advanced airway techniques should be consulted whenever available. Prior to the procedure, review local protocols for calling emergency assistance in the event of an unanticipated difficult tracheal intubation.
0: Procedural Steps
1: The first step, when time allows, is to utilize a checklist to review intubation risks and the airway management plan. The next step is to choose the appropriate size and type of endotracheal tube. A stylet should be inserted appropriately so that it is not protruding from either the end of the tube or out the Murphy's eye. Next, the equipment should be rechecked to ensure that it is all readily available and in working order. The team should ensure that the patient has monitoring leads and a pulse oximeter in place. The blood pressure cuff should be placed on a different extremity than the pulse oximeter and set to cycle frequently. Check that the IV is patent and functioning. Waveform capnography can be used to monitor adequate bag mask ventilation and confirmation of tracheal intubation. The patient should be appropriately positioned utilizing proper bed height, head position, and a shoulder or head roll, as indicated by patient age. For an obese patient, one or more pillows may be required to improve the laryngeal view. This positioning is called ramping. If the procedure is not being performed emergently, time should be taken to perform a procedural timeout using a checklist. During the timeout, the patient identity should be verified, the indication for the procedure should be reviewed, and an assessment for a potential difficult airway should be performed. Consent for intubation or anesthesia can also be verified. Pre-oxygenation should be performed according to the area of practice and patient population. The use of a non-rebreather mask or flow inflating bag for a minimum of two to three minutes is commonly used. In patients with inadequate oxygenation or ventilation, gentle positive pressure breaths using a bag and mask may be required. The use of apneic oxygenation with continued delivery of oxygen by nasal cannula may decrease the risk of hypoxemia during laryngoscopic attempts. There are varied recommendations for flow rates during apneic oxygenation in pediatric patients. The use of flush rate oxygen delivery which is the maximum flow obtained by fully opening standard oxygen flow meters, is being recommended for pre-oxygenation in adult patients. The safety of this approach, with rates that may exceed 40 liters per minute, has not been established in pediatric patients and is not currently recommended. Other pre-procedure physiological optimization is also recommended. Positive airway pressure may reduce venous return and preload. In addition, Medications used in rapid sequence intubation can result in sympatholysis, which also affects cardiovascular status. Be careful to ensure that the patient has had adequate fluid resuscitation and is hemodynamically supported to the extent feasible prior to intubation and positive airway pressure. With the exception of crash airways, the use of medications is recommended to decrease the risk of airway trauma from patient movement and agitation, and increase the likelihood of a successful intubation. Vagolytics may be used as a premedication. In addition, sedatives and a neuromuscular blocking agent should be given according to the plan discussed in the timeout. Neuromuscular blocking agents may be contraindicated in patients who are not easy to ventilate with a bag and mask or in whom difficult laryngoscopy is suspected. Intubations without the use of neuromuscular blocking agents are more difficult and should preferentially be performed by a skilled intubator. Appropriate technique should be applied to open the mouth prior to inserting the blade. A scissoring technique or rotation of the head backward in a neuromuscularly blocked patient can be effective. The blade should be smoothly inserted from the right corner of the mouth using the left hand to hold the laryngoscope handle. The tongue should be swept to the left to optimize the laryngeal view. An alternative approach of inserting the blade down the midline may also be effective, particularly with intubators with less experience. The laryngoscope handle should be lifted forward and upward to obtain a view of the glottic opening. Do not rock the handle and blade or press against the gums or teeth. Visualized anatomic landmarks can be used to guide laryngoscope position to visualize the glottic opening. Adjustments can be made to the laryngoscope insertion depth or the force being applied to the laryngoscope handle to improve visualization. Providers may choose to apply a gentle downward pressure externally to the larynx to improve visualization of the glottic opening. It is often helpful for the intubator to announce recognized anatomic landmarks such as the epiglottis, posterior cartilages, and vocal cords as they are visualized. Different techniques may be used with different laryngoscope blade types. The first option is to use a straight or Miller laryngoscope blade placed directly under the tip of the epiglottis and gently lift to compress the epiglottis against the base of the tongue to provide visualization of the glottic opening. The second technique is to advance the tip of the curved, for example, Macintosh blade until it lies in the vallecula, just below the base of the tongue. The entire laryngoscope is then lifted in the direction of the handle to visualize the glottic opening. Teams must be mindful of the duration of intubation attempts. The team leader should clearly communicate with the intubator to stop a given attempt and provide rescue ventilation, ideally before a patient shows signs of desaturation or clinical deterioration. Prolonged attempts should also be avoided in patients in whom progressive hypercarbia is of concern, for example, when there's a concern for increased intracranial pressure or severe metabolic acidosis. The team leader should be mindful of the speed of desaturation, particularly in patients who cannot be fully pre-oxygenated prior to the procedure. When oxygen saturation drops below 93%, the speed of desaturation accelerates. Intubation can be reattempted after bag mask ventilation is performed to stabilize the vital signs. If secretions block the view of the vocal cords or the glottic opening, then suction should be used to clear the view as needed. Once the glottis and the vocal cords are visualized, the provider performing the intubation should maintain the laryngoscopic view. The endotracheal tube should be handed to the intubator by one of the other team members. The tube should be inserted from the right side of the mouth through the vocal cords using one smooth motion. Avoid insertion of the endotracheal tube down the barrel of the blade, as this will block the line of sight. The tube should be advanced into the trachea to the appropriate depth. A general guideline for the depth insertion is three times the internal diameter of the endotracheal tube when an uncuffed endotracheal tube is used. A cuffed endotracheal tube should be advanced until the cuff passes just beyond the vocal cords and the cuff should be inflated. The laryngoscope is then removed carefully. The provider performing the intubation then uses his or her fingers to secure the endotracheal tube, commonly by holding it against the hard palate or upper teeth while maintaining a part of the hand on the child's cheek to prevent movement. If used, the stylet is removed from the endotracheal tube at this point. The depth of the endotracheal tube at the upper teeth or gum should be reconfirmed. And to confirm correct endotracheal tube position within the trachea, the team should use primary and secondary indicators, including equal breath sounds and chest rise, detection of CO2, either with color change when using a colorimetric CO2 detector, or a detectable CO2 waveform when using capnography. Once proper endotracheal tube position has been confirmed, the endotracheal tube should be secured in position using a commercial endotracheal tube securing device or tape, according to local practice. While the endotracheal tube is being secured, the provider who performed the intubation should continue to hold the endotracheal tube in place using their thumb and index finger. Potential complications. Potential complications encountered during tracheal intubation include hypoxemia, dysrhythmia, including bradycardia, hypotension or hypertension, bronchospasm, laryngospasm, trauma to the lips and mouth, laryngeal trauma, vocal cord injury, esophageal intubation, esophageal perforation, bronchial intubation, tracheal injury, including perforation, emesis with possible aspiration, cardiac arrest, A clearly defined intubation plan prior to the procedure should include strategies for optimizing attempts as well as responding to unanticipated difficulties. This preparation can be helpful in avoiding potential complications. During the procedure, providers should take care during insertion of the intubation equipment and avoid undue pressure on the fragile tissues of the airway. The endotracheal tube should not be advanced until the intubator can clearly visualize the glottis. The endotracheal tube should not be advanced if the vocal cords are closed. The intubator and team leader should clearly communicate when to cease an attempt to avoid desaturation and or dysrhythmia.
0: Aftercare.
1: Appropriate aftercare following tracheal intubation includes confirmation that the endotracheal tube is appropriately secured and obtaining a chest x-ray to assess for proper position. An appropriately placed endotracheal tube will be below the level of the clavicles and above the carina. Patients will require continued assisted ventilation, either with handbagging or placement on a ventilator, depending on the clinical circumstances. Additional medications for analgesia and sedation need to be considered. Note that some of the medications used for induction, such as Intomidate, may have a shorter duration of effect than the chosen neuromuscular blocking agent. In this case, additional sedatives should be administered soon after intubation.
0: Common pitfalls.
1: A number of common issues and pitfalls are encountered during tracheal intubation. Rocking back on the laryngoscope blade. To avoid this, the provider performing the intubation should concentrate on lifting and not rocking the laryngoscope to obtain a view of the glottic opening inability to visualize the glottic opening. To assist with laryngoscopic view, the provider should ensure proper positioning of the patient, adequate suctioning, and proper alignment of the provider's body and head in relation to the patient's larynx. Ensure that the patient's head is not rotated or tilted as the laryngoscope is maneuvered into position. The chest of the intubator should be aligned with the patient's head. The goal is to create a direct line of sight between the intubator's eyes and the patient's glottis. Inadequate glottic visualization may also occur because the laryngoscope has been inserted too deep. This is particularly true in young infants. Slowly withdrawing the blade under direct visualization can be used to identify key anatomic structures. External laryngeal manipulation can also improve partial visualization. Gentle pressure on the larynx can move anatomic structures into better view. Right main stem intubation. Advancing the endotracheal tube too far into the trachea will result in a bronchial intubation. Consideration of the appropriate insertion depth during the intubation plan can be helpful. Tubes may be marked or taped ahead of time as a visual cue. During the procedure, the depth of insertion should be guided by the lines on the endotracheal tube or until the cuff is visualized to just pass the vocal cords. Multiple attempts. Physiological and pharmacological optimization as well as appropriate positioning prior to the procedure can help minimize repeated attempts. In addition, the intubation skill level should be matched to the anticipated level of difficulty of the procedure. Multiple attempts by a single provider should be avoided. More experienced providers should make subsequent attempts. Calling for help early may be needed to bring appropriate personnel resources. Equipment issues. Choosing the correct size laryngoscope blade and endotracheal tube is important for intubation success. Using a systematic approach to selecting appropriate equipment can be helpful. Formulas, length-based systems, or electronic or printed resources can be used to reduce the cognitive load during this critical procedure. Cuffed endotracheal tubes offer flexibility to adjust the fit of the tube as needed. Current guidelines suggest cuffed and uncuffed endotracheal tubes are equally safe and may offer advantages in select patients. We recommend routine use of cuffed endotracheal tubes provided attention is paid to correct endotracheal tube size and cuff inflation pressure. Entitle CO2 detection is the most accurate means of confirming endotracheal tube placement. Failure to detect endotracheal CO2 may be due to an esophageal intubation, cardiac arrest with insufficient pulmonary blood flow, or equipment malfunction. Note that CO2 may be detected initially even if the endotracheal tube is misplaced in the esophagus. However, in this case, CO2 will no longer be detectable after a few breaths. This concludes this instructional video on pediatric orotracheal intubation. In this video, we reviewed the indications and contraindications for orotracheal intubation. We reviewed pertinent airway anatomy, detailed the equipment used, and demonstrated the steps required to successfully perform orotracheal intubation. Additionally, we examined appropriate aftercare, potential complications, and reviewed common pitfalls and strategies to address them. This video was developed in cooperation with the International Network for Simulation-Based Pediatric Innovation, Research, and Education, or INSPIRE.
0: Please help us improve the content by providing us with some feedback. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.